Sunday fun day to everybody. It's good to see everybody, and it's always fun to hang out with family during a weekend service. Amen? I'm excited for the men's retreat as well. Anybody else? Um, I'm kind of scared not to go, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. Um, yeah, once again, welcome to week four of this message series, What If Jesus Is Right? And we've been looking at what the Bible has to say, specifically what Jesus has to say about the things in life that really matter. We've looked at things like community. What does Jesus have to say about community? What does he have to say about worship and rest and how we spend our time and how we spend our money? Um, this morning, we're going to look into something very similar, looking at the words of Jesus and what he said and no surprise here, Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. He knows exactly the life we were intended to live because he lived that life. And if you were here last week, you got to hear a phenomenal message from Pastor Josh all about the Sabbath, all about rest. And I'm not talking about just a good nap, although I enjoy a good nap, anybody else. It's talking about more than that, but really a rest for your entire soul. And he laid out for us how over, over time we have gotten away from that as a practice, as a discipline for our lives. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you haven't gotten to hear it or you were unable to be here with us last week. And I just got to say, I'm so thankful for Pastor Josh and Jolene. I'm sure you guys have noticed that they lead this church strategically. And I'm so thankful to be part of a church family that have pastors and a family like this that leads our church in such a way that it's, it's, it's so intentional in the way they plan and they strategize message series that are really built to not just inform us, but to really take us on a journey with Christ. Can we just take a moment here and honor our pastor, Pastor Josh and his family, Julian? Just give him a hand. But it's a really, really good question to ask, right? What if Jesus is right? And what it does is it then kind of leads us to the real question, which is what does that mean for us? If Jesus is right about fill in the blank, then what does that mean for me in my life? And well, what we've learned is that we must then learn to be faithful to God, not just with the future promise of eternal life, but with our present lives. Because eternity really starts with today. So if we're going to trust him with our eternity, we need to also take the moment to really look into our lives and see if we are trusting God with the present moment, with the day-to-day -day life. I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, Jesus is Lord yesterday, today, and forever, and he is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And that stuck with me. I remember hearing that at a young age because it's exactly the truth we need to hear. And it's the truth we need to remind ourselves of. Because if there's an area of our lives that we seem to be putting on hold or we seem to be holding back from God, really we can't call him Lord at all if we don't give him the opportunity to be the Lord of all. Amen? So that is really what it means to be spirit-led. To be led by the Spirit of God means we are asking every single day, what would Jesus do? And you guys remember those bracelets? They were kind of was like a slogan. They, they were bracelets. They were on bumper, like bumper stickers and stuff like that. I remember being young and in, in probably like middle school, and, and the, those that I looked up to, the teenagers in our church had those WWJD bracelets. I think we need to bring those back. 
Because that's a really important question to ask each and every day. What would Jesus do? And more specifically, what would Jesus do if he were me? Because Jesus didn't grow up in our culture. He didn't grow up in this society. But what would he do if he were me walking in my shoes? The Bible doesn't say he had children. What would he do as a father? What would he do in the day-to-day, in the workplace? And so how would he live? This week, we're going to take a look at something that Jesus talked about more than almost anything else. In fact, some scholars believe the subject of wealth and finances, wealth and resources, is the number one thing Jesus spent his time talking to us about. And I'm so thankful to serve a God that can understand us, can understand the human condition, and that he doesn't just demonstrate to us how to live with his words, but with his actions. And so what I need to do is just to set up the very beginning of this message and just get to the place where we are willing to address. If we are going to trust Jesus with our eternity, then we must trust him with our money and possessions. This is where we need to start from. This is kind of sort of where we're going to dive in from this point. And I need you to understand with me also that as Americans, we are considered to be the wealthiest people on earth. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but you walked in here today as one of the richest people to ever walk the face of the earth. You are extremely, extremely wealthy in the big picture. So if you don't believe me, just listen to this alone. If you drive a car, you own a computer, and if you have more than one pair of shoes, you are the wealthiest, you're within the top percent of the wealthiest people on earth. So the fact is, you may not think you're rich just because you're not a snob, and I'm glad you're not. But if you're not a snob, it doesn't mean you're not still rich. You are so wealthy, and we need, to, we need to approach what Jesus has to say about wealth and finances with the understanding that we have been blessed to be raised in a country that is extremely wealthy, and we have so many opportunities available to us. The fact is, though, we live in a culture where as much as we have, it's never enough. We live in a culture of more. Every single day we are bombarded by ads that if you watch closely, I know you're just waiting a couple of seconds so you can hit skip ad, but if you are, if you pay any attention to the ads at all, they all are promising you that if you will buy this product or if you will try this, whatever, it will make you happier. It will lead you to, you just need more of this thing and it will make you happy. But if you've lived on planet Earth for more than an hour, you know that more stuff does not mean more happiness. More stuff means more problems, right? More stress, more anxiety. But we are constantly faced with the lie of propaganda pointing out to us that you aren't quite there yet. You need what I am selling in order to be happy. And what it does is it creates this unquenchable desire within us that cannot be met by anything other than Jesus. It's just, it's a, it's a lie, and we have to call out the lie. More, like, we are constantly thinking more food, more drink, more clothes, more devices, more apps, more experiences, another vacation, that's all I need. Just maybe a, a pay increase, more money, and more things, more possessions will make me happy. Truth be told, we have so much crap that we don't need, it's ridiculous. Just listen to this study that I, I, I took from a book that I just got done reading. They, they kind of did all of the work for me. It was awesome. They, they looked at a couple of different studies of the wealth in our society. 
We have so much stuff that we put things into a storage shed, right? We either build them and put them in on our property or we go and rent them, but we put, we have so much stuff, we put them into storage. And it says here that the storage unit industry is a $38 billion industry. We are spending $38 billion to store our stuff. Our storage alone takes up 2.3 billion square feet, which, check this out, is enough for every single American to have just over seven square feet. And we already have a place to live. So imagine the beautiful things we could build to house all of the homeless, right? Instead, we're storing our stuff in it. I'm not an expert at this by no means, to be honest with you. I'm taking responsibility for these things that I've been studying in my own personal life. And again, I'm not the expert, but God, for whatever reason, chose me to be the messenger. And this has deeply convicted me. But you know what I've decided to do? I've decided to give myself just a little bit of grace. And that's what I want you to do too this morning. That as we continue through this journey, talking about wealth and resources and what Jesus had to say about it, just give yourself a little bit of breathing room because we've all been raised in a society where we've sort of been tangled up in the rat race simply by the way in which we live and what we are surrounded by. But the mindset that we are buying into is the exact opposite of what Jesus had to say about money and things. See, Jesus lived a life of simplicity, and he calls each one of his followers, each one of his apprentices, to live the same life, a life filled with peace, a life that's free and light. As a matter of fact, he invites us to live that same life. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, said, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden that I give to you is light. Those words are refreshing to hear, aren't they? Words like rest. He wants to teach us to have a gentle heart, to find rest for our souls and, and to learn from him so that the yoke that he gives us, in other words, the teaching, the way of life he presents to us is going to be easy to bear and the burden will be light. Now, I'm comforted by these words because Jesus knows and understands the human condition, and he has the answer. See, each one of us grew up seeking fulfillment in a world that competes for our attention. Literally every eight seconds, the world is competing for our attention. In the year 2000, studies indicated that our attention span was decreased by around one minute, from the previous study, but in the year 2000, they saw it had decreased down to 12 seconds. We were only able to focus on one thing at one time for 12 seconds. Today, in 2021, which 12 seconds, you don't think there's a lot of wiggle room there, we are down to eight seconds. Just to put this into perspective for you, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, we're losing to goldfish. The world is competing for our attention, competing for us to, to buy into whatever it is that they are teaching us. But the way of Jesus has always been the answer to life. The bottom line is this world cannot satisfy us. Our wealth and resources are gifts from God. 
And of course he wants us to be successful. But when it comes to money and things, they cannot become our identity. And if we're honest, our money and our things, whether we consider ourselves wealthy or not, they are an extreme, at the very least, an extreme distraction from the things that really matter in this life. And Jesus knew this to be the human condition. And that's why in Luke 12, 15, he says, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So I asked then, what does life consist of? If it's not about earning money and accumulating wealth and providing for my family and being successful, all good things, what does life then really, what does my life consist of? And, I, and I'm reminded of a man who asked that same question in a little bit of a different way. A man came to Jesus, the master teacher, and asked this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And in this time period, what he's asking is, teacher, tell me, what is the one thing? If I get this one thing right, if I live this one way, if I do this thing, what, what is that thing so that I can live a meaningful, abundant life? He replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, everything that you've heard up until now, I'm arrived on the scene to show you what this has all been telling you about. Could it really be that simple? Could it really be that simple the way Jesus describes? Yes. I honestly believe that it is this simple when, and I think we overcomplicate what a true meaningful life looks like. Now I understand life happens and we live in a culture of chaos, a culture of consumerism. And again, that's why I say we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace. But it's interesting because right now there is a movement happening in our society and they're calling for this same approach to life. It's called minimalism. I'm sure you've seen it, different ads, different things on TV. They're, look, they're, they're trying to show you that this is the way of life. And honestly, I love it. What I've seen so far from minimalism, honestly, it reflects very closely the way of Jesus. And it's funny because it sounds like it's something very new and trending as if some you know, brainiac came up with this. Some psychological guy did a study and realized that this is the way to live. And I just want to find him and say, actually, this was founded thousands of years ago by a man who lived in Nazareth. His name is Jesus. It's a life of simplicity. Previous generations called it frugality, being frugal, which has all kinds of negative connotations to it, doesn't it? Like it makes me think of that old guy who is just hoarding all of his wealth and all of his money. He won't even spend a penny on anything. He recycles his coffee grounds, right? And when he walks, he squeaks because he's just so tight. He's never going to spend money on anything, right? That's what I think of when I think of frugality. So we're going to throw that word away and we're going to replace it with the word simplicity. The practice of simplicity as a spiritual discipline. I'll never forget just a, a few weeks ago, my son and, and I, we, I was getting him ready. It was bedtime and we were brushing our teeth and we were brushing our teeth and often we make faces at each other in the mirror. It's like the only thing I can think of to make him brush his teeth for more than two seconds. And we're brushing our teeth and he, he gets done brushing his teeth and he looks at me and he says, Dad, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we came home and the lights wouldn't turn on? The power was off. And, you know, 
remember we had to put a lamp in the bathroom. That was awesome. I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. And he's like, yeah, you remember. And then we had a fire going, but then you had to go get us McDonald's because uh, the pizza was still frozen because it was in the oven and the power went off. Yeah, okay. I remember now. And he's like, oh, it was great. He's like, it was really quiet too because the, there was no TV and Evelyn took a nap. It's like, okay, yeah, I think I got it now. And he goes on to lay out all of the details of what we did the rest of that day. And it was a life of simplicity that he was talking to me about. He was describing to me a life where there were no distractions. There was nothing keeping us from just being together. We laughed together. We played games together. We just spent time together. And there were no interruptions. There was nothing that I felt like was more important than just being with him, being with the family and having a good time. Some of you can relate to experiences like that where maybe the power went off when you were a kid. And I remember for us, you know, we would get the old kerosene. My dad would get those kerosene lanterns out and we would put those throughout the house. So there's just be a little bit of light in each room. And we had nothing better to do than just to sit and talk. Who does that anymore, right? We just sit and talk, right? Without scrolling through our phone. That's not a conversation. But it was just amazing because he was describing to me what it looks like to just be content with what God has given to you. He has met your needs, and now you're just living with those who mean the most to you. A life of simplicity. You know, it's really, at the end of the day, it is a Christian discipline, especially in the world in which we live, to make moments like that less rare. It's going to take effort. It's going to take discipline. You see, I don't think God wants us to live with nothing. He's not calling us to a life of poverty. He just wants us to understand that we can live with less and trust him to take care of the rest. And if we don't get to a place of living with this mindset, we run the chance of misliving our lives. And if we're not careful, we unintentionally teach our children to do the same, that it's all about spending and buying and getting and obtaining whatever it may be in order to have true happiness. See, being a follower of Jesus means that we take his life as a model or a template, if you will, for how we can model our lives and pattern our lives after him. Eugene Peterson, speaking on simplicity, said this. He said, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we have to get to a point where we are ready to do what it takes to model and pattern our lives after a life of simplicity. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer says this, Jesus put on display an unhurried life where space for God and love for people were his top priorities. Space for God and love for people, top priorities. He goes on to say, and because he said yes to God and to his kingdom, he constantly said no to countless other invitations. It's the art of saying no. You know, the Jesus life is what it really looks like for us. I found Joshua Becker said this. He said, when it comes to the life of simplicity, it's really about the intention, the intentional promotion of things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. 
The intentional promotion takes effort, a lot of effort, of all of the things we most value and then the removal. And I like to picture a process of constantly removing those distractions as they pop up. The removal of everything that distracts us from them. God made you and I the managers, the stewards of so much, so many great things. As we achieve, as we work, as we accumulate, we need to have a plan for what happens next. Otherwise, we won't be really be spending money and, and having things. They will be controlling us. Money will be spending us. So we have to do this. We have to have consistent financial planning as a part of our life of simplicity. Just because you can afford it doesn't mean you can afford it. And here's what I mean by that. I've been in the market for a new truck for some time now. I remember the day when I went to my, you know, to look up my bank account and I had the number that I had, I said, we talked about it, here's the number, this is what I'm going to save and this is what it's going to be. I'm going to go find a truck that's going to cost right in this price range, right here. I'm not going to spend more than this. But I've recently found out that it's safe to say for every dollar you spend on something, you can also add one more dollar for each dollar that it's going to cost you to maintain that thing over the course of its lifetime. So for example, if I want to go buy a $15,000 truck, you know, a used truck that's mechanically sound, something that can last me maybe 10, 15 years, if I can go find a truck like that and I'm willing to spend 15000 I need to actually say to myself and admit I'm going to be spending not 15000 but thirty thousand dollars on that truck over the course of its lifetime not only that but if i say well i've only got 15 i know it's actually going to probably really end up costing 30 over a period of time well i'll just probably work more hours i'll probably try to like go to pick up some overtime if i can and do this and do that and then that way i'll get the excess money that i need to cover the cost well what does that actually do now that means i'm away from my family more than i was i'm sacrificing things that really truly matter in my life more just to get the thing that i think i can afford and because i saw my bank account i say i can afford it so without consistent financial planning and really counting the cost considering the cost we have to make sure that we create a budget and commit to it the reason I will use the word commit to it is because I think we're all, we, if we're honest, we've all been in a place where we started a diet or we started a New Year's resolution and on day three we had a cheat day. Come on, somebody. We've all had cheat days. But if you spend 30 days committing to something and 29 days are cheat days, that's not going to do it. <laughs> it's not going to work. So we have to create a budget and we have to choose to commit to that budget. A budget is how we say yes to certain, to certain things spending and no to certain spending. It, it's like basically the way a, a budget is to your money is the way you use a schedule for your time, right? So you have to have a budget and then commit yourself to it. And I recommend every six months to a year, go back and reevaluate that budget because the budget I had when I was 18 is a lot different than the budget I have now at 30. I have three kids now and I have a wife. And I'm no longer saving for, for cool things like guns and, you know, maybe a new bow. Now I'm saving for other things, way different things that I never thought I'd ever save for, right? Your budget is constantly changing, and, and it should. Your financial goals are going to change, but you have to have a consistent financial plan, and you have to create a budget and then choose to commit to it. 
Proverbs 21.5 says that good planning and hard work, it takes both, lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So God wants us to work hard, but he wants us to have a plan and take the necessary step to let our finances reflect what we value most. Now, there are some great budgeting apps out there for you. I know this doesn't sound like the most spiritual sermon in the world, but there are some great budgeting apps out there that I would recommend to you. The, the first one is Every Dollar. It's the Every Dollar app. It's by Ramsey. It's a great one. Someone suggested to me after the first service one called YNAB, like stands for You Need a Budget. So if you need a budget, it's perfect for you, right? So check that one out as well. There's just some, there's some great resources out there, but we have to make sure we create it and then we commit to it. The second thing, then, as a part of our budget, as a part of a consistent financial plan, is we need to get into the habit of giving regularly and generously. And here's what I know. The biblical perspective on giving, on financial gifts, tithing, offerings, things like that, Everything the Bible has to say about it really has nothing to do with us showing God that, look, God, I am nice and I'm obedient. Therefore, I'm going to throw a little cash in the offering plate. That's not what it looks like. The biblical perspective on giving is being generous because we are made in the image of God and reflecting his generosity. Ultimately, we're giving a little percentage back to God what he has already given to us. And mainly what it is, is it's a demonstration of our willingness to trust him with the rest. Because again, God owns it all. And he's made us the stewards and the managers of a certain amount of wealth. And we then in turn get to use it as a tool and have the opportunity to invest it back into the kingdom of God. And so you've heard us talk about tithes and offerings here at 201 as part of part of following Christ, as part of being a part of a church family. And if you feel like 10% is too much, Start with 1% because what it's going to do is you will see that generosity will start and it will begin to build some momentum in your life. And before long, you will be wanting to give more. You will be wanting to give, get to 10%, which that's what tithe means. It just means 10% of your income. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. See, it's a repetitive process. This scripture here in and of itself demonstrates to us that it's an exponential growth, that when we tithe, God blesses a cheerful giver. He's pleased with the cheerful giver. And he wants to give to those who are cheerful and willing to be generous. So when you plan to be generous with your giving, here's what it does. It's going to remind you of the big picture. And when it reminds you of the big picture, it's going to overflow into the rest of your, of your financial plan. And you'll begin to see yourself viewing money not just as a means of happiness or a way to make you happy, but a tool to advance the kingdom of God and a tool to advance your assignment here on earth. Our Father is a very generous God. And when he created us in his image, he wanted us to also be generous people. So we need to give regularly. Another way that we can be generous is, outside of tithing and offerings is random acts of kindness. Have you ever been in a drive through somewhere and you get up, you pull up and the person working says, hey, you don't owe us anything. The person in front of you paid, they covered your cost. And I've usually got a van full, so I'm always like, woo, all right. But what's it really want to make you do? It makes you want to pay it forward, doesn't it? 
It's like you want to at least like honk or wave at the person, then they're usually gone at that point. Right, but I, but you make you want to like go. Well, maybe I'm going to just pay for the person behind me, or when I get home, I'm going to you know do. It makes you want to pay it forward because generosity is contagious, and it, it's not just it's not just good spiritually. It's not just biblical. It's actually good physically. It's good for your body. It's good um, for your health. I recently read a study that questioned 632 Americans about how much they earned. And then how much they spent of the cash they earned. So they asked them to rate their happiness at the end of the question. So they asked a series of questions, and then they said at the end, please rate your happiness on a scale of 1 to 10. Now, regardless of the income level, the people who spent the majority of their money, whether it was 51% or 99%, the majority of their money on someone else, those people were two times on average happier than those who spent it all on themselves. I mean, we're, we're living in a country where we're stressed out and we have all kinds of anxiety. And, and I get it. What, like I said, we're bombarded by so much chaos constantly from propaganda and ads and everything. But when we go to the doctor, does the doctor say anything about being generous as a means to your health? They might say something like, you know, it's actually been proven by doctors that it lowers your blood pressure and it relieves stress and anxiety, the simple act of kindness. Being generous is actually good for your body, mind, and soul. Isn't that awesome? And that's the, that God knew this, and that's why he wired, it, wired us with the desire to be generous. So these are just a few of the ways that we can have a consistent financial plan. But the next thing we need to do in a life of simplicity is to take a continual evaluation of our possessions. So you think to yourself, I've got a budget. Maybe I'm going to go home, and I'm going to revisit that. The next thing we can do to practice a life of simplicity, the way of Jesus is to go home and just evaluate our possessions. I've already begun to do this. Me and my wife have been having some conversations. And I just encourage you, when you, when you get home today, just look around your house. No guilt trip, no judgment. Just look around and just start looking at some of the stuff and how much stuff you have that you don't need. Maybe it's clutter. Maybe it's things that accumulate. Life happens. There's just so many things that I, I see some gentlemen fist bumping over here. They're probably like looking at their wives like, <laughs> we, we all have some stuff that we don't need. And really, you just ask the question, does this add value to my life or is it a distraction from the things I value most in my life? Isn't that a great question to ask? Because I guarantee you when you ask that question, you're going you're gonna to find yourself getting rid of a ton of things. Have you ever cleaned out like a junk drawer and just felt free, Right. You just like cleaned out a drawer or a closet and you just felt like you just climbed Mount Everest. There's something about just relieving, right? Like getting rid of the clutter and the stuff that accumulates in your life that really you may not call yourself a hoarder, but if you're anything like me, you don't get rid of stuff just in case, right? Like I clean out my garage and then the next spring I have to clean out my garage again. I'm like, where did this crap come from? Why do I have mower blades from a mower that doesn't fit my mower, Right? These aren't even the right size blades. Where do these even come? Why did I keep them? Like, do recycle it, get rid of it, do what you got to do. But there's just so much. That's just on a small scale compared to what our lives actually look like. Somebody say amen so I don't feel alone. So ask yourself, does this thing, does this item, start small, start with a drawer, start with your closet, whatever it may be. Does this add value to my life or is this a distraction from my life? And then, and this is the ticket for me. You got to go to the next step, which is to set rules for your household and lifestyle to maintain 
simplicity. Again, I'll clean out the garage and I'll feel great. But I don't set the rules for myself and have someone invited into my life to hold me accountable for holding on to stuff that I'm never going to need again. So you have to set the rules for your household and your lifestyle. This is where parents ought to give me a good amen. Rules for your household and your lifestyle. I'm, I'm a rule follower, I guess, just it's my personality. I like rules. The reason I like rules is because it, it actually creates a better life experience. I'll give you a great example. For Christmas, we got our kids the game Shoots and Ladders. We got them a bunch of different games, and it's been fun. You know, like since COVID hit, we've been finding ourselves playing a lot of games. There's just, you run out of things to do, right? So we've been playing lots of board games and doing lots of stuff. And so for Christmas, we like, we need some, we've worn out Uno, okay? We've worn out a few games. Let's get them some new ones. And we got Shoots and Ladders, and it was, it was cool because they wanted to get it out and play it, like, right away. And we had already played a couple of games, and I think Becca was in the kitchen getting started on something, and I was somewhere, and they're like, we want to play it now, we want to play it now. And I said, no, we're not going to play it now. We'll play it in a little bit. Well, you know, kids, have, they can't wait 10 seconds. So they get it out, and they open it up, and they want to start playing it right now. Next thing I know, in fact, I think Joshua had a friend over at the time. They, they were playing, and I hear, like, fighting and screaming. I'm, th- I'm thinking I'm about to walk into a fist fight, right? And I'm like, what is going on with you two? They didn't bother to read the rules. They didn't bother to open up the instruction manual, right? They just thought they'd make it up as they went, and they just started playing, and it was absolute chaos. And I wonder if that's what our lives look like a little bit without rules. You know, we trick ourselves into thinking, ah, I'm going to adopt this new whatever, and then we don't set the rules to hold ourselves accountable to follow through. Amen? So set the rules for your household and your lifestyle. Ever since we explained the rules, that game's a lot of fun because I always win. Anyway. The right rules for your family will actually cultivate a sense of freedom, security, and contentment. You know, don't be afraid to be that dad or mom that has some strict rules for your house. It's out of love, right? It really is. If you want to protect your family and you want to protect your values, set some good rules. And we know ourselves better than anyone else. So, again, this is an opportunity where we invite someone in to call us out when we're not following the rules. Our own rules sometimes are the ones we break the most, right? The biggest rule in my house right now is sharing is caring. Just to give you an example, we say this every day. It's an everyday battle. Share. Just share. Is it really going to kill you to just share just a little bit of it? It's not even yours. I bought it. Share, right? Sharing is caring. In 1 John 3.17, this is what I keep going back to. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So just set some of those rules and then have the Bible there to back you up so you're not mean old dad, right? This is biblical, strong ethic. These are the way we are intended to live, the way of Jesus, And we need each other to get through this life. We need to have the kindness and the compassion and be willing to share and have those obvious attributes of the Christian life. The next thing we can do then is to minimize our lives. Minimize your life to maximize your influence. So we already talked about clutter and how it creates anxiety and whether it's physical or mental clutter, too much to do, too much to see, too much going on. All of that creates stress and anxiety. Take some time to declutter your life and make space, not just in your home, but space in your life, space in your schedule to do the things that you value most. 
space where abiding in Christ is the centerpiece of your home. So just take some inventory of your activities, even your closet, your garage, your schedule. See if there's anything that does not add value to your life that you can really set yourself free from, set your, your whole family free from. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You know, it's my prayer that we as a church family and the, and the families within, that we would be known for our care and concern for one another. Having space for God and love for people at the, at the center of our lives and, and not constantly searching for the next thing that we think we need in order to be happy. I just, I truly believe the way of Jesus is a life of simplicity. That's going to have to become a discipline. It's going to have to be a life of focus in a culture of consumerism and chaos. So let's decide today to practice simplicity as a spiritual discipline, to remove all those unnecessary distractions from our hearts, from our minds, from our homes. And just let Christ in to be the center piece of our lives. And then we will begin to live with contentment and we'll, we'll feel joy and peace and patience come back in, into our lives. Maybe you'll find yourself not snapping at people so much, right? And not feeling like you're overwhelmed and be able to live a life like Jesus. If you believe that, I just ask that you would just go ahead and stand with me. I'd like to pray over us as we close. Really, there's one thing I want you to take home. It's something you've heard before. It's let's keep the main thing the main thing. And let's remove those distractions so that we can live a life of simplicity and really focus in on what matters most in our lives. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for your teachings today, God, everything that you are teaching us in your word. God, today we are choosing to commit our lives to the way of Jesus. God, we choose to accept your free gift of salvation for all of eternity, knowing that today, God, eternity starts today. God, we recognize that we're not just being saved from something, but we're being saved towards something, which is a ministry and a way of life, a life of simplicity. Yeah, we ask in this moment that you would give us your power from on high, your spirit to give us the strength that we need in this modern age of constant distraction. God, we choose to receive your abundant life, a full life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said...